chapter 10. Scripture passage is also printed in your bulletin if you don't have a Bible with you. Uh, this morning we are continuing uh, our series in Luke's Gospel called Meals with Jesus, uh, in which we're zooming in on Jesus at meals. Um, throughout Luke's Gospel, it's been said that Jesus was either going to a meal, he was at a meal, or he was coming from a meal. And it tells us early in the Gospel that the Son of Man came eating and drinking, that this was one of his primary ministry strategies was long meals around the table with all kinds of different people. And we're going to see that in Luke 10, 38 to 42 this morning. Um, the late theologian Dallas Willard has this well-known quote uh, that says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. This influenced a pastor and author named John Mark Comer to write an entire book on the subject called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, Comer in his book references this survey near the beginning that it was done of 20,000 Christians around the globe. And this was a conclusion drawn from this survey. It says, it may be the case that one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. Comer says in his book, hurry and love are incompatible. Hurry and love are incompatible. And even just hearing that, I wonder how you felt that. I'm sure you felt it in some way, that hurry and love are incompatible. Maybe you felt that as a busy, hurried roommate where you have a few, you exchange a quick few words with your roommate over a cup of coffee as you rush out the door, but you're kind of too busy to sit and listen to their heart of your friend, and you just sort of feel that in that relationship. Wow. Hurry and love. Incompatible. Uh, maybe you felt that as an exhausted parent where you sort of reluctantly agree to sit down with your child and play a game and you're sitting there and all the while you're sitting there and your mind is frazzled from like stuff going on at work and it's, it's frazzled just and anxious thinking about what's happening on my phone right now across the room. Did I just get a text message? Did that email come through? You're hurried. Hurry and love. They're just they're not compatible. In what ways does hurry define your life right now? And how does that lifestyle of hurry and busyness shape your relationship with Jesus? That's the tension in our passage this morning. With that in mind, this is Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, 
Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. Oh, would you meet us now as we consider it together? We can't understand it on, on our own. We need your help. We need the Spirit to come and speak to us and eliminate your scriptures to us. And Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Just two headings this morning that I want to look at this passage under. We're going to look at it through the lens of Martha and then through the lens of of Mary. So first, let's look at it through the lens of Martha. All right, a little bit of context for our passage. Jesus had been teaching his disciples, crowds gathered around. Jesus told his famous story of the Good Samaritan. And then after that, Luke tells us that they basically packed up their stuff and they went to a village. When they got to this village, a woman named Martha welcomes Jesus into her home. All right, now let me say this up front. It certainly appears that a meal is being prepared in this passage. It does not say it explicitly. It's hinted at. It certainly would have been the cultural norm to invite a guest in, provide a meal for them. Certainly, this qualifies to be in our series of meals with Jesus. So let me just say that on the front end, though it's not explicit in the text. So Jesus is in the house of Martha for a meal, and her sister Mary is there with them. And let's jump right into verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Then tell her to help me. All right, we're going to dig into the heart behind her service in a moment. But before we do, we need to see that it wasn't her service that was the issue. Uh, Serving Jesus in tangible ways is good. And it's not just good, it's commanded in Scripture. Uh, This is said in a lot of different places in the Bible. Here's one, Romans 12, verse 11 Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Martha was serving. It's good to tangibly serve the Lord. That was not Jesus' main concern. The issue was her heart. So let's look at this. Let's look at the heart behind her doing. What was the heart behind her doing? Verse 40 uses this word distracted. And this has the meaning of like being driven away from something. uh, Meaning that Her serving for Jesus was actually driving her away from Jesus. Her heart did not have Jesus at the center as she was serving, but instead the serving itself had moved to the center of her heart and Jesus had been pushed out of view. And her heart is revealed in verse 40 when she goes to him and says, Lord, do you not care? Don't you care? My sister has left me to do this alone. Tell her to help me. What's the tone? It's a bit of anger, right? Anger towards Jesus? Don't you care? Maybe some self-righteousness towards her sister? She's left me to serve alone? As I sat in this text this week, it hit just a little too close to home for me. Sometimes you, know, you can read a passage of Scripture, maybe you hear a sermon, and then immediately think of like, man, I've got like these three friends, right? Or this family member, like, this is for them. I'm going to send it to them as something that was encouraging to me this week. Um, and, and, and I, but I couldn't even get there. I couldn't even get there. Um, this just hit too close to home. Two examples from my own life where I've seen this Martha-like anger and self-righteousness. Early in my marriage with Aaron, somehow I assumed the role of dictator of turning off all the lights in the house. And so if a light would get left on in an empty room, I would channel this sort of 
low-key anger and self-righteousness into a form of a passive-aggressive question. Hey, sweetie, are you done in this room? If so, can I turn the lights off? And so the tone of my question, right, it would just give away my heart. That's one example. I've chilled out a little bit on the lights, but another example, to this day I still find myself angry dishwashing. Um, They're not my dishes, right? It's not my mess, but in my self-righteousness and self-pity, I'll get in there and I'll kind of start like anger scrubbing the, the pots and pans that are in there. And maybe I'll splash the water a little bit more than needs to be splashed. I'm a little bit, you know, more loud as I throw the pan to the side. What's going on in my heart? I'm turning off the lights. I'm washing your dishes. Look at me serving. Why aren't you doing this? I'm going above and beyond. Why aren't you? Just reveals my heart, right? Martha's heart is revealed by her actions, by her words. Earlier in Luke's gospel, chapter 6, Jesus says the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So here's Martha, right? Heart exposed. How does Jesus meet her? How does Jesus meet her? He speaks to her heart. Jesus speaks to her heart. Verse 41, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Um, It would have been easy to rebuke Martha for her self-righteousness or her subtle anger directed at Jesus. That's not what Jesus does. Do you see how compassionate Jesus is? He sees through some yucky behavior. He sees through some actual sins he could confront. And and he sees the anxiety and the trouble that's weighing Martha down. And he doesn't bring the hammer down. He doesn't condemn her. He essentially says, "Look, look, I see you. I see you. I see through your behavior. I see through your tone. I see your heart, how anxious and heavy it is. Martha, I see you. He doesn't condemn, but instead... He shows compassion by speaking to her heart. And and if you're like me, and maybe you could go through this passage and substitute your name for Martha's name, where you might just be tempted to come up and ask me after the service if I was preaching directly with you in mind. If that's where you are, maybe you do feel some conviction of the Holy Spirit for your Martha-like tendencies. But do you also feel the compassion of Jesus As he says to you this morning, I see you. I see you. I see through your busyness. I see through it all. I see through your anxiety. I see your troubled heart. And if you're feeling this, know that this is just the water that we swim in. We live in a Martha culture, right? Hurry. Do. Get busy. Do more. Make it happen. Fit it in the schedule. Is there an open spot on your iCal for this thing to happen? Um, years ago, this is not even really that recently, I remember looking over to a car next to me at a stoplight and the driver was somehow, uh, it was almost like a magic trick. They were holding their Starbucks, their phone, their cigarette, and the steering wheel all at one time. And, and you know, I, I just, I, I, you know and maybe you could substitute out a few of those things, you know, to make it applicable to you, but that's, that's us. Right? That's a picture of us. That's our moment. And so often we bring that hurry and busyness into our relationship with Jesus. Uh, We life hack our way into the highest efficiencies with our phones, finances, schedules, plans. And that all pours over into our relationship with Jesus. So relationship with Jesus becomes doing, 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 distracted, 
hurrying, efficiency, performing. And over time, this relationship with Jesus becomes all about our doing for Jesus. So much so that we can forget about Jesus and just focus on the doing. Scholar Kent Hughes says it this way. He says, there's a tendency for people who are wound tight like Martha to give everything to their particular area of calling or interest and to allow that interest to so dominate their lives that they have little time to let God's word speak to them. Without the benefit of the word, they adopt a mindset of narrowness, judgmentalism, or fault finding. And eventually the creativity and vitality they once gave to their area of ministry sours. This is us, right? We get so busy doing we lose focus on the main thing. Um, I don't ride a bike very often, but I do love the sport of cycling. I love to watch professional cycling. Um, if you've ever seen professional cyclists on TV before, it's amazing to watch because they ride very fast and they ride very close together. Um, this group of riders is called the, the Peloton. And um, it allows um, the riders to, to work together and draft off of each other so that they can ride faster for longer, conserving energy. Um, so imagine, you know, in that scenario, being in a group of 100 plus cyclists traveling about 30 miles per hour, you're literally shoulder to shoulder. Occasionally your elbows might bump the elbows of the person next to you. You're traveling on country roads. They're not great roads. There's potholes, there's bumps, there's gravel, there's just random stuff in the road. And you're just laser focused on right, keeping the exact pace to, to stay with this peloton. All right, do you know where your eyes need to be focused when you're riding in a peloton like that? Um, you would think that it need, would need to be right on that tire in front of you, which is only a couple inches in front of you, right? So you don't hit that tire and crash and ruin the whole thing for everyone. But that's not it. Actually, your, your eyes need to be focused on what's ahead of you, on the group as a whole, on what's coming on the horizon. That's the safest way to keep from crashing and to stay with the group. But it's so easy to drift down and zero in on the thing right in front of you. But before you know it, you're going to lose focus of the main thing and you're going to crash. Martha lost focus of the main thing in her serving. She locked in on the serving rather than on the one she was serving. And it spiraled from there. Self-righteousness, bitterness, anger, judgmentalism. And that's us. That's us. All right, what about Mary? Let's talk about Mary. Look at verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. What was Mary's response to Jesus? She sat at his feet and listened to his teaching. And this might give you the image of maybe there's like a grandparent or someone in your family who's just a great storyteller. And you picture them sitting by the fire, maybe in a rocking chair, telling a great story. And maybe there's like three to four children, like literally sitting on the floor at their feet, kind of hanging on their every word as they tell this story. And that's maybe starting to get at what's happening here. But in this culture, this was actually a commonly practiced way of a disciple with their teacher where they would literally sit at the feet of their teacher to learn, the disciple would. Which, by the way, as an aside, this would have been really countercultural that Jesus was willing to sit with a woman as his disciple in this way. Really countercultural. They didn't do that. But this interaction with Mary, it's a picture of discipleship. Sitting at the feet of the teacher, taking it all in. Surely hanging on his every word, laser focused on Jesus. Think about your own attention span. My, my attention span sometimes feels like a, like a golden retriever puppy. Or if, it, if there's something loud, it's almost like I'm looking to be distracted by something. I'm kind of like, you know, what, what is it? And, and I'm just knocked around all the time. My wife, on the other hand, is brilliant at staying focused. Um, 
We see this in our family when she's responding to text messages. I am sharing this with permission, by the way. When she's responding to text messages on her phone, she gets so laser focused on responding to a message that she has what we lovingly call her texting face. Her texting face where if she's responding to like someone with maybe like heartfelt sympathy or concern over text message, she gets this like, it's like really deep face of concern. And you can just like see it. And all of us in the family are just watching you write this text message. Or if she's responding to something funny, like her face lights up and it's on the, you know, it's, she's like, her face gets bigger. Um, but she, she gets so laser focused, you can see it in her face. And there's no way we can distract her in the middle of that. And here's Mary, right? Sitting, dialed in, all the servings happening behind her, taking in the words of Jesus, not distracted by what's around her. And what does Jesus do? You know, Jesus doesn't speak to Mary. Instead, he speaks to Martha about Mary. What does he say? How does Jesus speak about Mary? Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. He says, one thing is necessary. And it's sort of a cliffhanger. We're like, Did you tell us the one thing? What is the one thing? He says that Mary's chosen the good portion. Um, the language of good portion, it's so fitting. Philip Ryken in his commentary points out that the good portion is food language. Same word that often refers to a meal in the Bible. And he highlights this irony that Martha is distracted by preparing an actual meal of food. While Mary has chosen the good portion of feasting on the living word of God. Ryken goes on, he says, Jesus does not define the one thing that is necessary for the life of discipleship. Instead, he points to Mary's example. Rather than giving us a proposition, he shows us a picture. What is necessary is to sit at Jesus' feet the way that Mary did and listen to what he says. And in this way, come to know Jesus for sure. This picture shows us Mary's devotion to Christ, specifically her commitment to his teaching. Mary loved Jesus and his word. Mary was locked in. Jesus was the main thing. Jesus was at the center for her. And not only does Jesus say that, yeah, that's the good portion. He says you can't take it away from her. It's hers forever. You know the name Steve Jobs, right? The late founder, CEO of Apple. His biography by Walter Isaacson does this amazing job of giving you a window not just into his personal life and story, but how he ran Apple when he was in charge. Um, one of the things he did the second time he came back as a CEO each year he would take his top 100 employees on a retreat and they would all get away. And this was, you know, thousands of employees at this point. So top 100 would be a pretty big deal. That's pretty elite level of employee at Apple at this point. They would take the top 100 employees, go on this retreat. They'd get in the room. They'd brainstorm together every year. What are the 10 most important things that we could do as a company, that we could focus on as a company this year? Right? So again, 100 top people at Apple. Huge company. Highly successful company. Those 100 people arguing, wrestling, fighting together. What are the 10 most important things we could focus on? That must be a pretty impressive list. 10 really great things for these smart people, right? Once they had their 10, Steve would take his dry erase marker and he would cross off the bottom seven. He would take the top three. He's like, all right, there's our top three. That's what we're focusing on this year. And he would, um, this is part of what would make him so successful. He would cross off everything else. He would focus on those top three and then he would just make sure they stayed laser focused on that. Only focusing on these great things for the year. But what did that mean? It meant that he had to say no to a lot of really good things, right? Or say yes to those great things. What did Mary do? 
She said yes to the greatest thing. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, unhurried time in the presence of Jesus. And I wonder as you think about your own life, if you have a relationship with the Lord, have you had moments like that? Similar to what's pictured here with Mary. Um, Even if you're maybe more Martha than Mary, have you at least gotten a taste of what it feels like to be still before Jesus and to sit at His feet, receiving from Him, hearing from Him, learning from Him? What I want to say to all of us is we need need to create space to sit at the feet of Jesus. And there's actually a neighborhood group discussion question that kind of says that. But I hesitate to phrase it that way because the Martha in all of us can take that and be like, all right, cool, I got it. I'm going to add that to my list of things to do, right, of ways to serve. What I need to do this week is create space to sit at the feet of Jesus, add the checkbox. And then it gets thrown in this list of like doing, thrown in the hopper, right, of all this doing that we're, and, it's, and then it just kind of turns into more kind of doing for Jesus and we're kind of missing the point. We have to feel this and hear this as a loving invitation rather than more for us to do. You know, imagine an interaction between spouses. If one of them asks, hey, can we just sit and like kind of be together and talk and connect and catch up? Just slow down for a minute and enjoy each other. And the other responds sort of maybe mildly annoyed, kind of reluctantly. Maybe they agree, but they're like, yeah, cool, yeah, but can I, can I at least fold the clothes while we talk? Or, or you know, can I get, can, let me just finish the dishes and then we'll do that. And the other's like, you know, I just really want to sit and just be with you. Can we just sit and kind of connect and talk? I want to hear, I want to like eye to eye, you know, have a conversation. And the other response, sure, okay, yeah, yeah, fine. I've got, but I've got like 10 minutes to do that and then dishes, right, in the laundry. That loving invitation of being together and connecting, it was viewed as what? Just like another task, another thing to do. It misses the heart of the loving relationship. How do we know if we're hearing these words to sit at the feet of Jesus as a loving invitation or just more to do? A few signs that we might be hearing it as a loving invitation. One sign might might be that we find ourselves less hurried in our times of prayer and Bible reading. Right? Think back to the idea that hurry and love are incompatible. That would begin to like seep into our time with the Lord where we'll begin to to just joyfully slow down when we're with Jesus. Less of a box to check, less of something to cross off a list. Another sign might be that we'll unhurriedly pick up our Bible on a whim and open it up and start reading, even after we've checked off our reading calendar for the day. Right? We'll have an increasing desire to just open the Bible and read and, and hear from the Lord, apart from being able to like, Check it off a list of productivity or things that we're accomplishing. Maybe another sign that we're hearing this is loving invitation. It changes our prayer life. Uh, it's good to ask God for things. He tells us to ask Him for things. That's a good thing, right? Um, but what if our prayer life begins to be more and more about sitting quietly in the presence of Jesus, meditating on a single verse from His Word, or even just a fragment of a verse from His Word? where prayer becomes less about what we can get from Him and just more about being with Him, enjoying His presence, prayer. You know, then lastly, maybe eventually we're slowing down, we're sitting at the feet of Jesus, and we see this begin to overflow into all of life. You know, the irony of this passage is that that Mary, as she sits, she's actually being filled up to go and tangibly serve, right? 
And she'll do this with Jesus at the center, having just been with him. Um, Unhurried, loving time with Jesus will overflow into unhurried love for others. And so, where are you this morning? Are you Martha? Are you Mary? Uh, Here's the good news. Look, wherever you find yourself this morning, Jesus loves you and has compassion on you. He's not annoyed or fed up with the ways that you're like Martha. He's not impatiently waiting for you to get it together. He is so patient and compassionate with Martha, and he's so patient and compassionate with you. How do we know? He died for you. He loves you so much he died for you. And he offers himself to you. And he invites you to himself not to hurry, not to be more productive, not to do more, but to come to him and what? Rest. Receive and rest on what Jesus has done. That's the offer for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the good news. That your yoke is easy, your burden is light. You've come to us not to, not to increase our load, not to increase our burden, not to give us more to do, not to shame us into harder work, but to come and sit at your feet and receive you. And so Jesus, by faith, we receive you and we rest on you this morning. And Father, you know how that lands for different people in this room. There are some here who, who maybe have never thought about a relationship with you in those terms. And Father, would you give by your Spirit the gift of salvation to those who don't know you? They might come and rest for the first time. Father, there are, there are others who, who, who believe and who know you, but just, just feel so stretched, so thin, to where their doing has maybe moved to the center rather than you. Would you recalibrate hearts this morning? That Lord Jesus, you would be at the center. Give us the grace. Help us to feel the loving invitation to sit at your feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.